Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you live your life shaped by the way. Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you had a wonderful day yesterday. I sure did. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stress in rooting for a team, wanting them to be the best. And uh, for the second year in a row, my Aggies have let me know by the second game that I'm not going to have to worry about that this year. The season's over for us, so I can move on to greater and more important things. I love my Aggies. They apparently do not love me. Anyways, great to see you here today. I hope your team did all right, or maybe your team starts today. I I hope it's a good season for you. Man, last week we learned kind of a, a tough thing. We saw in in Abraham, in Genesis, that God might be comfortable with our discomfort. And and I think what we're going to see today, it's going to get worse. God might not only be comfortable with our discomfort, He may actually put us in some places of discomfort. Now, I'm not suggesting that every place of discomfort that you or I have ever been in, God did that. God put us there. No, that's, that's not the case. But God will put us in some, and God will use all of them to test us, to test us, to test our, our faith, to test our obedience. He, he's going to test that in your life and in my life. God tested Abraham, and God's going to test you. He's going to test you. He's going to test me. He's going to test all of us. And that's what we're going to see today as we turn to Genesis chapter 22 is that God is going to tell you, why would God do that to me? Hey, we're going to see at the end. It's really pretty exciting why God would do that to you and me, why God would give us this test. And oh God, you know, I I wish it was an easy test. It's not multiple choice. It's not true-false. You're not going to guess your way through this test. My guess is, again, some of the harder situations in our life may very well have been a test being administered by God. Now, as we prepare to look to Scripture and see what it describes, defines, helps us to understand about tests... I want to relieve some tension. I want to answer a question before we get there. And when I tell you what the question is, you're going to think that's the strangest question I've ever heard. You're supposed to think that. Uh, Because the question I need to answer is, would God ever require you, ever require me to sacrifice, take that literally, take that uh, metaphorically, would God ever have us sacrifice our child or our children in service to him? You say, what an awful question. It is the question we're about to see. I know some of y'all are familiar with what we're about to, to look to in Genesis 22. Would God ask us to do that today? The answer is absolutely not. Okay, just two quick reasons. Number one, while we're going to see God ask that of Abraham, we're also going to see God stop it. No, don't do that. So God did, in fact, not have him do that. But se- and then secondly, you know, when, when God uh, had that moment with Abraham, there wasn't a Bible yet. There wasn't even a Ten Commandments. 
Now, God has said some of these things are written on our heart. We're, we're supposed to know them. But, but there was no rules. God wasn't contradicting anything that he had said before. Now, while I say that, not following long after Abraham, those things are coming. A specific command. Do not sacrifice your children. An example, just one example of that, Deuteronomy chapter 12, it says, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. What way? The way all the surrounding religions are worshiping. That they actually do every abominable thing that the Lord hates. That's what they've done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to me. So not only do we see God giving a command, don't ever do that, he's actually making it quite clear, I hate that. I despise that. I find that abominable that somebody would do that and think it's for me. So now as you and I open up Genesis 22, hey, the good news is the tension's relieved for us, right? We're not going to be reading this and go, what God asked this of me? We, we, We don't have that tension. But hopefully now we appreciate a little bit the tension that Abraham did carry for a little bit. Would you open your Bible with me to Genesis chapter 22? Genesis 22. If you're new to our church, welcome. We're sure glad you're here with us worshiping our Lord today. And uh, you may be wondering why we're turning to Genesis 22. We're in a series in Genesis. We've been there for a while now. Since uh, since Easter, we've been in Genesis. And I think we're going to finish around Thanksgiving. So the bulk of our year, we're, we're walking through Genesis. And there's a lot of exciting stuff in front of us. So even if this is your first time and you're in Joining us right here in the middle of Genesis, I I would encourage you, you'll love the rest of the journey. So hop on board. Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. And then he chopped, then he chopped wood for, the, for a fire, for a burnt offering, and set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come back. And then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. And then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, right? Abraham replied, yeah, here I am. 
Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Jireh which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, this is a, this is a big story in, in the Bible, a big story in Genesis. It's a, it's a great story. Obviously, the, the center of it, the thrust of it is this test, a test of faith and obedience. But there's so much going on in this that, that we really can't even get to today. You know, there's some interesting historical, geographical things going on in this passage. You see that God says, I want you to go to the land of Moriah. And when they get there, Abraham sees the spot that God points out and he goes up on what is the mount on Mount Moriah. And, and I would imagine at that time, it's just a big, bald, empty hill. But you fast forward, you fast forward a couple of centuries and guess what Mount Moriah is going to become? Jerusalem. Now stop and think about that. On Mount Moriah, God said, I don't require you to sacrifice your son for me. And on Mount Moriah, God's son will be sacrificed for you. That's pretty profound. I'd like to do some study and walk through some passages and put that all together. You know, another interesting thing going on in this passage is this angel of the Lord. Okay, so it's an, it's an angel. Obviously, you and I hear that word and we think of what? An angelic being of some sorts, right? And it's of the Lord. It's something separate and distinct from the Lord. And the angel speaks for the Lord. But then all of a sudden, did you hear what the angel said? You have not withheld your son from me. Now, if you know anything about angels, they're pretty awesome. Humans sometimes have a tendency to worship them, to be in awe of them, because they're a pretty powerful presence. And every single time, an angel stops that. An angel never wants it to be unclear about who God is and who I am. They focus everything on the Lord. An angel would never speak for God like that. A lot of theologians believe that this angel of the Lord, and the word angel literally means messenger. So while normally a, an angelic being comes to our mind, it could literally just be translated a messenger of the Lord. But many theologians believe that this angel of the Lord is the second member of the Trinity, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. It's Jesus that is speaking right here. I would happen to agree with that view. So there's a lot going on here, isn't there? I mean, some big things to kind of dive into. And we're not going to look at any of that. But we are going to focus on the thrust of this story, this test that Abraham has given. Now, we've, we have journeyed now with Abraham. And, and as we come back next week, we're, we're going to have another kind of shift of gears. We're going to start moving away from Abraham and on to Isaac, then the next one in line. But chapter 12 to chapter 22, a big part of Genesis, is about Abram. It's about Abraham. It's about his relationship with God. Now, chapter 12 to 22 doesn't say a whole lot to us. What we have watched is about 45 years. 
Okay, in Genesis 12, Abram's, Abraham's about 75 years old. Don't know his exact age here in uh, chapter 22, but he's probably around 120. That would make Isaac, this might sound a little shocking, probably around the age of 18 to 22. We'll just say 20. And I say shocking because, you know, he's, he's a boy, right? I mean, in our culture, we would not normally apply the word boy to, a, to a, you know, somebody that's 20 years old. But their language would allow for this. Plus, did you notice when it was time to go up the mount with all the wood, who carried it? Isaac. Abraham loaded him up with the heavy lifting. You wouldn't normally do that to a three or four year old, would you? Plus, Abram's like 120 years, I can't carry anything. All right? So, you know, we, we put it on Isaac. So, it's interesting the, the clues that we'll look for for ages and whatnot, but even outside of this passage, a good guess that Isaac's 20 years old. So, again, 45 years we've watched Abraham journey. With God. And it is almost entirely a relationship of giving. God giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. That's how the relationship started, right? God came to, to Abraham when he was 75 years old, introduced himself and said, Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, here comes the dump truck. I'm about to unload blessings on you. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you protection. I'm going to give you prosperity. I'm going to make your name great. It's God giving and giving and giving. Now, Abraham had to do something. He moved, right? God said, I want you to move from here to there. And Abraham moved. And Abraham had to believe. He had to believe that God was going to to do all of these things. And, of course, you stop and think about that. What we're seeing between Abraham and God is not much undifferent than our relationship with God. You know, think about when you first engage with God. You may have been in church your whole life, but there's a moment where you really start to engage. Hey, I think this might be real. And a lot of times what we're engaging with, whether we're 9 or 39, is All that God's giving. Hey, I'll give you love. I'll give you forgiveness. I'll adopt you as my own child. I'll give you guidance. I'll give you protection. I'll give you heaven. I'll give you eternal life. It's God giving and giving and giving. And what do we bring to the table? Faith. Faith, the belief that God can do what he said he was going to do. The faith that God can do what he promised that he was going to do. So it really is a relationship of God just giving. But that's kind of my question, that word relationship. What kind of relationship do we have? Maybe Let me change the word. What kind of friendship do we have if all I do is show up each morning to find out what God's handing out? What kind of relationship do I have with a person where it's just me constantly receiving? Now, there could be a couple of ways we want to think through this, understand that, but I want to focus on one way today that makes this a bit of a challenge, and that's our sin nature. Because of my sin nature, I have a tendency, you have a tendency, to take any and every gift that God gives you and worship the gift, to more highly value the gift than you do the giver. As a matter of fact, we'll often use the gift to reject the giver. Let, let, me, let me throw out two that are just seem to be common throughout humanity, common throughout history, sex and money. Hey, sex, that's a, that's a gift from God. 
He designed it. He gave it to us. He gave it to us as an individual. He gave it to us as humanity, sex, and sexuality. Here's the gift, and what do we do? We, we grab it up, we scoop it up from God, and we say, I got this. As a matter of fact, I, it's more than I got this. I really don't want you to be involved in this. I, I don't want your input. I don't want your directions. This is mine. I will do with it as I please. And as we reject the giver, then what happens is I begin to look to the gift. I begin to look to my sex and sexuality for things I should be looking to God for. I'm now looking that to tell myself that I'm lovable, that I have worth, that I have an identity. We put something on the gift that it'll never provide. And yet humanity is batting a thousand of looking to the gift to provide something it can't provide. How about money? I mean, I've never held a penny in my hand, neither of you, that didn't come from God. So in a way, I've worked pretty hard for some of my, my pennies. Yeah, and God gave you the job. Gave, God gave you the ability. God helps you endure. God helps you produce. Everything that touches your hand is a gift from God. And what do I do? Same thing I do with six. I scoop it up and I say, it's my mind. It's mine. I don't need your input. I don't need to know what you think about managing it, giving it, saving it. I don't need to know anything from you. It's mine to do with. And then what do we do? Now I look to the money for security, for purpose, for identity, for strength. Now those are two kind of big ones. Folks, we can, we can make a God out of anything. You know, when I use the word God, when I use the word worship, again, just think of the word value. I can value a hobby more than I value God. I can look to that hobby for rest, for strength, for happiness more than I would ever think about looking to God. We can, we can do this with anything. And so God is going to move into the relationship because all of those things, as much as we might be enjoying them or using them for a moment, they're all going to fail us. And God doesn't want to see us come to that failure, doesn't want to see us come to that brokenness. So he's going to step in and he's going to give this test. Now, that's the tricky word about, tricky here about the word test. Because normally when I take a test, it's for somebody else to find out something, right? My math teacher gives me a test to find out if I've learned anything. My job gives me a test to see if I can get this certification and, and be able to operate this machinery or begin to sell this new product. And, and so I take a test so that somebody else can discover something about me. But folks, God doesn't need to discover anything, right? He already knows. He already knows all of that. The test is for you and me. It's to help me to discover. Now that, that word test, it means to, in, in the language here of this particular word, it means to authenticate, to prove, to verify. It's showing the realness of something. So God gives this test, not so that he can discover something, but so that I can discover it. And not only me, but pe- people around me. Hey, when I go through, when you go through a test, people around us have a chance to learn something. I mean, think about it. Abraham went through a test, and we all get to learn something. And that's important, because we all have questions about faith. What does faith do? What does faith mean? Do I have real faith? What does real faith even look like? Well, all those questions have now been answered right here, right? I I can look at the tests that Abraham went through, and all of a sudden, I've got a lot more insight into what faith looks like, what it does, and, and look at my own life then. 
So what do we learn about faith here? And I wouldn't say this is all that we need to know about faith, but from this story, I think we learn three profound things about faith. Number one, it's immediate. That's, that's a tough one to think about. It's immediate. I, 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 folks, I find verse 3 to be one of the most stunning verses, not only in this story, maybe in the Bible. That, that verse undoes me a little bit. Listen, if God came to me and said, hey, Randy, this is what I want you to do. I want you to sacrifice one of your children. Now, even if my first thought was, okay, God, I love you. I don't quite understand this, but I'm going to do what you said to do. Even if my first thought is I absolutely want to obey, I think I'd have a few things to do first. I might want to pray about it a little bit. That's kind of funny thing, isn't it? Isn't it awesome when you and I pray to God about things he's told us to do? I think, wouldn't he be saying like, I, I, think, I think I answered this question right? But I'd want to pray about it, maybe consult about it. I'd have to spend a little bit of time thinking about how I'm going to tell Karen because she's going to think I've ever lost my ever-loving mind. And she should think that, right? You know, hey, listen, if I really thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this, but this is it, right? This is it with the sun. I, I, hey, could I take like a three-day vacation? You know, go hike, go fish, go see. You know, I'd want to have a moment, Right? That's why it absolutely undoes me when it says, early the next morning. Listen, I'd still be undone if the word early wasn't there. If it just said the next day, I'd still be thinking, wow, Abraham. But it, it says early. He got up early to do this. I believe, I believe many of you in here believe, every word in this book God put there. God put that word early there. No, I think he put it there because Abraham got up early. God, why do you want me to see that word? Why do you want me to interact with that word? And I just can't help but believe it's because God's trying to say to you and me, hey, faith that drags and delays is often a faith that disobeys. You notice I used the word, no, I didn't use the word, mostly, mostly disobeys. I didn't say all of the time, hey, there may be some places where the moment we are told to do something and it's execution, there may be some time, but more, mostly, more often, folks, the longer we go, we're just building our comfort zone to where we forget about what God said to do. Faith that drags and delays Mostly you're on the way to disobedience at that point. You're, you're not going to show faith. You're, you're not going to obey. Now, the second thing that faith does, and the second thing's not really a point. It really goes, it's implied in the first thing, and the second thing is obedient. He immediately did what? He immediately obeyed. Hey, here's a shocker. A big part of the test, do I, do you actually do what God says? You know, I think in our modern Christianity, we have a real emphasis, a real focus on the grace of God, the kindness of God, even the friendship of God, as well we should, right? Here's where you say yes. Yeah, man, absolutely. We want to be honed in on the grace, the forgiveness, the friend. That's all we got. Man, absolutely we hold on to that. But we also have to remember, we do very few things balanced. We can take anything and everything a little bit too far. And I think 
our focus on grace and friendship and love, coupled with a very exalted view of self, I think we've arrived at a place where we think, you know, I don't really take commands anymore. I don't, I don't even think Jesus requires that. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just about love, right? It's not obeying a bunch of commands. It's just about love. Well, okay, so let's see what Jesus did say. He said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, if you want to go to heaven, you need to obey my commands. He didn't say that. Watch this. He also didn't say, if you want me to love you, you need to obey my commands. Notice how important it is there. Because see, even when I look at a verse like that, I start thinking, okay, I got to work my way into God's love. I got to work my way into God won't be happy with me. God won't like me if I'm not working my way into a beat. That's not what he said. If you love me. Why? Because every single command tells me how I can love God. How in the world do you love the creator of the universe? Talk about the dad who has everything. What do, you, what do you give? What do you do that loves him? You, you tell the truth because he's truth. You don't murder because he's life. I mean, folks, I can sit here the rest of the day and go down every single command. Every command is a way I tell God that I love him. And every time I disobey, and we all know it, I'm saying in that moment, I don't love you that much. I... I'm not going to love you there. I'm not going to love you with that. Every act of disobedience is you and me saying, I don't, I don't love you that much. Now, is God being good to say, ah, no worries? No, the worst thing God could do is stand there and say, oh, well, I love you anyway. Because what we're choosing there ultimately kills us. It ultimately steals life from us. If you love me. You'll obey my commands. When's the last time God impressed something on your heart? Say, gosh, it's been a long time. You're not listening. What'd you hear this last week? You know, folks, when you and I open God's word, he's speaking, right? So what's the last thing you heard God say in his word? What's the last thing he impressed on your heart? Would you be able to describe what happens next with the words immediate and obedient? Number three, trust in the goodness of God. You remember back in Genesis 3, we saw Eve standing before the the tree there and and Satan was tempting her. And Satan said, hey, you see this fruit? It's really good. And he wasn't just talking about how it tasted. No, there's something really good in this for you. But God has said no. Why do you think God would say that? See, Satan's tempting with the idea, hey, God's holding out on you. God, you know what? God's, the reason God said no, he's trying to keep something from you. But hey, if you'll come over here and get it, you'll find out there's something more. You'll find out there's something better. There is a good that God is keeping from you. So you, you and I choose when we're, when we're obeying, what are we doing in that moment? We're saying, I, I trust God is good. I don't understand why he would say this. I don't understand in this place why he would say this. But I know that God is good. I'm going to trust his goodness 
in this moment. You know, there's some commands I think you and I can look at and think, okay, I, I can see the goodness of God in saying that. I can see that God has my good in mind when he says that. And then there's other commands. Man, that's hard. I don't know. How's God being? Why would God ask that of me? Right? You know what I'm saying? Some things seem pretty clear to see. Others, not so much. Boy, this has to be one. What in the world, God? What kind of good is there in this? How are you being good in asking this of me? I I would so love to be able to kind of dissect Abraham's faith right here and know what he was thinking. And praise God, I don't have to dissect his faith because God's already told us what Abraham was thinking right here. A great way to interpret Scripture is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. And we have some insight here. Hebrews chapter 11, almost the other whole end of your Bible. Hebrews chapter 11. I know some of you are familiar with this passage. It's often referred to as the Hall of Fame of faith. You know, not just great faith, but the ones that make the Hall of Fame. And guess who's is in there? Abraham. And not just in general, this story is in the Hall of Fame of faith. Listen to how this is described. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac, listen to this, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. That's a pretty big step of faith. But Abraham's thinking. I mean, that's what you and I have to do. God commands something, tells us to do this or to not do that. And that, that's not what my insides are telling me. That's not what this moment seems to be. I mean, everything in me, everyone around is saying, do something different. God, why am I going to trust you? Where, where's your goodness in this? And surely Abraham is struggling with this command. But he says, now, wait a minute. 45 years now, I've never seen God be anything but faithful. I've never seen him do anything but keep his promises. Now, he promised me that Isaac is the son through whom all the blessings he's given me are going to flow through. There's going to be this nation out there one day. We call it Israel. There's going to be this nation out there, and it's coming through Isaac. And that hadn't happened yet. So, Clearly, if God's going to keep his promises, then even if I kill Isaac, God's going to raise him to life. That's, that's pretty big faith, isn't it? I'm reminded of a, are you all familiar with that, that devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, right? Oswald Chambers, if you're not familiar with it, get it. Start January 1 with it. A little one-page uh, daily devotionals. It's, an, it's, it's a little bit old, but it's phenomenal. Anyway, in, in my utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers says this, faith is the heroic effort of your life. If you find faith to not be that hard, you're not showing any. If you can go a week, two weeks, a month, and never think about what faith is calling you to, you have none. You're living entirely in your own power. You're living entirely in your own man-made religion. And you and I are always going to create something that calls for very little. Faith is the heroic effort of our lives. 
It calls us, it demands that we fling ourselves recklessly on the character of God. Do you have to throw yourself each week clinging? God, I'm trusting that you're good. God, I'm trusting that you have all knowledge. God, I'm trusting that you have all power. Are you throwing yourself on the character of God? You know, if you and I aren't, God's going to put us in a little test to help us see. I don't know what you think you love or worship, but it's not me. How do you prepare for a test like that, by the way? You know, I'd love to be able to say, hey, turn to Genesis 18, and you'll see God say, hey, when we get to chapter 22, I'm giving you a big test. Here's how to be ready. I don't, I don't know that Abraham woke up that day knowing at all what was going to happen. How do you and I prepare for a test? And by the way, I don't think there's just one. Woo, got out of that one. I think they come all the time. How do you prepare for that? You know, I think one thing you and I would do well to kind of proactively get out in front is maybe just take an inventory of life, right? What do I value more than God? Now, here's, here, here's the problem with me trying to answer that question is I know the right answer, right? And, and I don't want to say that I value something more in God. So I am very quickly going to, nothing. There's nothing I love, no, no, not at all. There's nothing I love more than God. How do I know I'm not lying to myself? Because I do. I lie to myself, I deceive myself, you lie and deceive yourself, tell yourself nothing needs, just keep going on here, nothing needs to change. Maybe instead of me taking inventory of my life, I, I ask God to do that. Do you trust him? Do you trust him to take a walk through last week and say, hey God, would you point out to me what I valued more than you in this past week? And I guarantee you, If you say, I don't know, I've ever heard God answer prayer. Go ahead and throw that one up. I guarantee you, you'll get an answer. And then the question, what do I do when he says something? Well, take that thing, that issue, that person, that that joy, that fear, that opportunity, that dread. Take that to God and say, hey, what does your word tell me to do with this? Because see, when I yield my life to his word, when I yield my life to his direction, then I now no longer love that more than I love God. I'm not looking to that. I'm I'm looking to God, right? Maybe a second thing we do is we exercise, right? We talked last week. Man, we saw Abraham grow, boom, strong in the faith. How do you build those guns? How do you do that? You know, I thought of this this week. I don't know if I've ever had this thought before. Oh, work out on the easy commands. Now, the reason I don't, I don't think I've ever thought that thought before is because I don't usually use the word easy commands or hard commands. But let's be honest, some commands are hard, right? There's a reason there's things you've never, there's, you've never obeyed God in that because it scares you. You don't want to do it. You don't think God can use you in that way. You, 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 I'm not, that's too hard. But then there's easy commands. How about this one? Encourage one another. And how hard is that? Who in here could say, oh, I I could never do that? Yes, you can. 
As a matter of fact, you know, you just go to this week and say, hey, God, let me see inside my classroom, inside my job, in my neighborhood. Maybe it'd be somebody I don't even know. God, show me who I can encourage this week by something I say. By something. God, I'd like to get in about 10 encouragement reps this week. Yeah, I'm going to do 10. I, I think I can get to 10. You know, it sounds kind of silly, but think about it, folks. If I'm not intentionally and purposely working out with the easy commands, what are the chances that I'm going to lift the heavy one? So are there easy commands in there? We'll go find them this week. Start with encourage one another. Gosh, what would it mean to this church? What would it mean to our world If thousands of us were running around thinking about how we could encourage, how we could build, how we could help someone else. You know, I said one of the most stunning things in this story to me is how it starts early the next morning. You know, how it ends is, I think, even more stunning. You know, when you've taken a test, math test, certification test, driver's license test... When you take it, when you pass that test, what's the next thing you do? You tell somebody, woohoo! I got it, 102. I got it all in the bonus question. You know, hey, I got that next certification. I'm going to be able to get a raise. I'm going to be able to get that new spot. Man, let me tell you something. Every time we pass a test, every time we do good on a test, we tell someone, and there's a little bit of a, look what I did. Look what I did. Look how good I am. <laughs> I'm, not even, I'm not even challenging the rightness or the wrongness of that. Of course I'm going to tell people, hey, look what I did. Did you see how the test finished? Abraham's not saying anything about what he did. Oh, he can't let me get one high five with Isaac, right? And yet, how does the test end? Abraham's not seeing anything about himself, but he's seeing God. Remember the question at the beginning of this? Why would God test us? Because when I come out of the test, I will have experienced a greatness and a profoundness of God that maybe I'd never seen and enjoyed like I am right now. Abraham left that test saying, not look what I did. He left that test saying, the Lord provides I now know God better than I would have maybe ever known him before. And guess what that builds? Faith. Obedience. The test is for you. And he will test you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I think about you testing me. And I immediately want to say thank you for Jesus. I have the very blood of your own son, the sacrifice of your son to cover all my failed tests. I have the blood of your son to cover all of the things and people and situations and ideas and dreams that I have valued so much more and so much higher than you. I do not go into this test with the fear of failure. I can go into this test with the hope of even more of you. But by your grace, but by your love, 
Lord, I, I pray that we will think this week about things, ideas, people that we, we might be valuing more than you. I pray that we will think about easy commands and we will intentionally and purposely go into each day saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. We want to build faith muscles, Lord. More faith, I see more of you. It's in your name we ask this, Lord. Amen. Amen.